sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. This has been your Sports Grid News Update. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Monday, January 11th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm the spitting statistician, Dane Martinez. And as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, with me burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And fundamentally, we fundamentally put the fun and functional sports content. So let's get right to it here on the early line. Kev, what a wild card weekend. I've been saying to you, usually the division weekend is my favorite weekend in football because you get full four games and the big boys are involved the teams with the buys but this time around wild card weekend was super as they were building it in the nfl because we had three games on saturday three games on sunday wall-to-wall football and i gotta tell you i think it delivered kev oh yeah i mean they immediately were validated in this decision to add an additional team to both the AFC and the NFC playoff picture, consecutive triple headers, and what's going to happen is next week people are going to see, is there any way we could add another game to both of these days? I mean, at the end of the day, like you you have this massive drop-off of what feels like a 1,000 games on at once to uh, what, just one game? G- guys, what else do you right. – at least you knew you had a full day. So at the end of the day, the triple header – uh, it was a big-time success, and I think it was a quick adjustment for a lot of us, the idea that seven teams make the playoffs. The whole the whole 17th game, a team being 9-8, and eight, right. I don't know if I'll ever get behind that because 9-7 and seven or 8-8, eight and eight, I think that's sweet. Right. But uh, seven playoff teams from each conference, I think it's a job well done. Yeah, absolutely. We'll go through those all. This week, we will also start to look at what happens when the Chiefs and the Packers enter the fray. I do have one more question for you, because you know it's something that I was really interested to find this weekend. I don't know if you thought it was that big of a deal, but Kev, there were fans in some of these buildings, and I thought there were instances where they made a difference. I mean, in that Tennessee-Baltimore game, there were some times, Kev, when the Tennessee defense, which was much maligned, right, whenever they got pressure on Lamar Jackson, they were hyping up the crowd on big-time third Mm -hmm. downs. We saw when Pittsburgh started to get back in the game in the second half, their 2,500 friends and family started to get hyped up. I don't know. Did you see that the fans in limited capacity started to make some impact? Because I'm excited to see what happens out there in Arrowhead and in Lambeau Field potentially this week. You didn't have to have 50,000 for them to start making some noise. Yeah, you got to think, right, whoever's in that building is so excited. They will be loud on any of those big plays. I'll say just throughout the year, though, you get accustomed to the idea that even after a play, because they have sometimes the superimposed sound, like, oh, it sounds a little loud, but is anybody really there? So uh, you don't judge it too much and i think the spots where kind of 
it always stood out would be if you can get someone to jump or not, or when someone's going like this, quiet down, or right, maybe right, right. delay of games. And I don't know if there was that moment kind of where you're like, oh, remember Goff in the dome against the Saints when the NFC title game where you're like, Jared Goff can't hear anything. Like, right. Sean McVay is in his ear and he can't hear. I don't think we've had any moment like that. We probably will. No, fair enough. Fair enough. As we go ahead and welcome in our radio audience from around the country, around the globe. Thanks for getting on the grid early with us. Get the winning edge here on Sports Grid. Dane and Kevin, I got to tell you, there were times, and ultimately Baltimore won that game, right? I do think there were times when the Tennessee defense got the crowd hyped, you know? And, and, and there's also the idea of does that fan add, like, adrenaline to the t- to the Titans right and, and to those to those guys on defense like they were playing really really well they were getting hyped on defense they were getting pressure on Lamar and then all of a sudden yeah. one play could change all of that because that is what Lamar Jackson can do he had that absolutely incredible scramble remember they were starting to break out all the stats of like oh the Ravens have never won when they were down by 10 points you know and so that was definitely something that we saw before we get into all of the games i do want to ask you about one other thing um and it is with los angeles with the rams right and what you thought about ultimately what happened at that quarterback position you know they start walford then he gets hurt injured has to be taken away in an ambulance at the um you know during the first half or at halftime of that game and then in comes jared goff right you know bad thumb and all you could see how swollen it was but these rams although they move on seem to potentially be a little bit banged up right goff aaron donald cam Akers left cooper cup left Mm -hmm. what do you think about what the rams will be moving on to the next round yeah, Donald being injured is yeah. monstrous. The Rams sent out a graphic for the matchup next week against the Packers, and the Packers featured on the graphic were Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And for the Rams, it was Robert Woods and and Cam Akers because that's who their best offensive player is right now. So you better hope that Cam Akers gets back right. At the end of the day, Goff versus Wofford. You know, everyone believes that Goff is their desired choice. I'm not going to say that he isn't, but I also won't disregard the idea that Sean McVay was excited to see what Wofford could have brought to the table. Yep, absolutely. So we are off and running here on the early line. When we come back, we're going to start to dive into all six of the wild card weekend games, figure out what works for the teams moving on and the teams that lost. Where do they go from here as we recap what was a super wild card weekend? Six games in the books. We'll talk about them all on the other side of the break right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid right after a super wild card weekend. We are debriefing it. We're doing the autopsy report on those that did not survive in advance. So let's start, Kev, with the first game of the weekend. We go back to Saturday afternoon. The Buffalo Bills get the job done. They beat the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 24. It was interesting to me, Kev. And you know, I'm big on this fans in the stands stuff. There were fans in Buffalo. I remember seeing Stefan Diggs say this is the first time he would play in front of Bill's Mafia and he was having a ball. There were some times, Kev, where he would make a big catch and he'd pander to the crowd, you know, doing the big old first down symbol and stuff like that. You don't see that when there's not fans in the stands. And boy, did Diggs and Josh Allen continue to do their thing like it was the regular season. Stefan Diggs, six catches, 128 yards and a touchdown. Josh Allen throws for two, runs for another one, puts up over 300 yards. I got to tell you, Kev, there was one play where I was worried that he was going to make the big mistake. Oh, yeah. I think they were still within a play, and it was like a third down. He's trying to scramble, and I was like, oh, no. And then he fumbles, Kev. He fumbles, and there's like a thing. I was like, oh, my goodness. This is what Kevin and I are going to be talking about. But, no, they get past that and ultimately get the win. 27-24, I think we saw yes. both sides. Josh Allen was amazing, right? But if that play, if that ball bounces in a different way, the Bills are not in the playoffs anymore. And that is the gift and the curse of Josh Allen. Yeah, there, there were there were a couple of moments. Uh, certainly, the one where he lost like thirty yards and almost yeah, fumbled it. Well, it was the big one. But it's it, man, if you're just not a Bills fan, or if you're not you know entirely loaded up on the Bills, you got to really just enjoy the experience that is Josh Allen. I will quickly say in this game, just from a betting perspective, right? Because yeah. we, we want to talk about these two teams moving forward. The over under all week long was fifty one and a half. And I was staring at it because I wanted a piece of the over in this game. I felt like these two teams could move the ball. But I opted to kind of, you know, take from the lessons we talk about, watch for the hook, the patience, can we get the best number here? Right. And I felt like this number was on its way down. That was the sense that you could get. And in the morning, you, you saw it go to 50 and a half. And that's the difference. That bit of patience. It doesn't always work that way. But waiting for that 50 and a half, you get the winner with 51 points scored. Incredible of a one-point middle opportunity if you took it. But that ended up being the difference in this game. So that's why we do sometimes we preach that patience. Or you want to get it, you get a sense of where right. these numbers are going to move. As far as this game goes, the Colts finish with the football at midfield. Yeah. And, Dane, they had nine drops. Yo, Pascal got up, bro. Draw. That was a fumble. Pascal got up. That was a fumble. Yeah, it was for the the thing for me, and I was I was just rooting for more game at that point, and right. I I was they didn't like, want to hand worry. them that. If it's a Paul fumble, stands. then it's just victory like, yeah. victory formation. They weren't going to do that, you know. The TV show that yeah. is the NFL wasn't going to do that. Well, it was just also call stands. Is I mean, this we are wasting our. There needs to be a time limit put on replay. Hey, if you don't know yet. Call stands like then it's not clear out there too long, and that was kind of what, what my thought process was: is that was taking an eternity. Even if you at home were like, "He's clearly up," right? right, right like right. they don't know evident, right? Here's the thing with the Colts, Dane. Right? They had nine drives outside of the one kneel down. Right? Nine offensive drives. Do you know how many crossed into Buffalo Bill territory, Dane? Two. 
All of them, every oh, single okay. Colts drive went into <laughs> Buffalo shit, Bill yeah. territory. Every Rodrigo. single Colts drive. Well, it was a lot of everything was wrong. It was yeah. it was the decision. I would have kicked punt. the field goal at it the end of the first settled. half too. I would have kicked the field goal at the end of the first half as well. Well, I, I I think I wouldn't have ran an outside toss with Jonathan Taylor, where you know that <laughs> right. the downside of it is losing four yards. And to be right. fair, for the I would have kicked crowd, which I understand that take, he threw a touchdown on the next play, and Michael Pittman dropped it. And they were dropping balls left and right in this game. The Colts and and I will because again, the Bills, this defense seemingly turned the corner. I thought the Colts had the pick of the litter there when it came to the offensive side of the ball. They needed to throw more. I understand we talk about teams' identity, what makes them who they are, and right. a game plan entering, but you got to be able to read the room. The run game wasn't as effective as you were used to. It just wasn't, right? And going fast with rivers through the sky was when the Colts were at their best instead of taking it down to three seconds left on the play clock every mm-hmm. single time. And eventually they put themselves too far behind the eight ball. No, I hear that. And, you know, when it comes to now, where do the Colts go from here? They have an aging quarterback. They don't know if he's going to come back. There's a lot of talk, Kev, about some of your boys, you know, kind of getting the band back together (laughs) in Indianapolis, right? You know, Frank Reich is there. They may be in the quarterback market, you know? So we're hearing everything from Carson Wentz to, you know, uh, the idea of Jacoby Brissett taking it on. They may be in the market. They're built well, Kev. They got an offensive line. They got a all-pro defensive linebacker and Leonard. We like some of the young pieces they have, Taylor, Pittman, even Naheem Hines. They don't seem far away, these Indianapolis Colts. What do you think of their priorities in the offseason? Yeah. Yeah, we've already heard Frank Reich wants Phillip Rivers back, and I, I think fair enough, I, I and I think if you believe in Jacoby Brissett and his prospects as a backup, having an insurance policy if you're going to go into next season yeah. with Phillip Rivers is an absolute must, but I understand wanting to bring Phillip Rivers back. And again, if you look at the season, really, what was their downfall? I, I think there's... A, a need for some more options at the wide receiver position, probably because Pittman came on but was only a rookie, and T.Y. Hilton, right. it was maybe a little bit more up and down. I think kind of shoring up the secondary would mm. be big as well for the Colts, but they're a team that did benefit from a very, very easy schedule. Now they won double digit games, they got themselves, you know, within a field goal of the two sure. seed in the AFC, right? But this is also a team that found themselves in the postseason. Part of this is how good the AFC was because they added an additional playoff team. So you just you have to be That's honest. About I mean, they went eleven and they're, five. They're, no, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I'm just, but they also could have done more. They could have done more if you kind of go through it right. That team's opening loss to the Jaguars and and things of that nature. So there, there was still, I think, for the Indianapolis Colts, it was a good season. It could have been more, yeah. and I think bringing back Philip Rivers is. I think it's a more than fine move, but if it falls off a cliff next year, you want to make sure the insurance policy behind him is more than serviceable. And that's the thing, right? Like, I actually think these Colts, it's weird because I I would move on from Phillip Rivers. Why? Because the rest of the team looks like the window is still open. 
if that makes sense, Kev. You know what I mean? They're young. They're built the right way, right? So, and I, I like, what about a Carson Wentz, right? What about another quarterback who can be a decent quarterback on the market and still keep that window open? Because unlike some other playoff teams that lost, I think the Colts will be right back as a contender for the next few years in this AFC. On the Buffalo Bills side, Kev, one thing to note, mm-hmm. their rookie running back out of Utah, Zach Moss, was carted off the field late in the game. I talked to Dr. Chow yesterday, and he says it sounds like a severe high ankle sprain, and he thinks that Zach Moss's season, unless they get all the way to Tampa and the Super Bowl, is likely done. That could be a blow for this Buffalo offense. Yeah, at the end of the day, when you watch this game, the ground game, it was a lot of Josh Allen, right? Let, he had Fair. more carries than Singletary and Moss combined. He had more yards than Singletary and Moss combined. I was surprised at the number of quarterback keeps, designed runs that they went with on the Buffalo side. But, you know, you want to have that threat there with Zach Moss and to not have it, it's going to put a little bit more on the plate of Devin Singletary. And I'll just say this quickly to wrap up on the Bills. That performance from Josh Allen, even though it maybe had some moments where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's enough to say that that regular season Josh Allen looks like he is still here come postseason. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. The Bills should be excited, and they'll have another home game this week. We'll talk about the rest of Saturday's action when we come back right here on The Early Line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the winning edge on SportsGrid. Big shout out to all of our affiliates, and thank you for getting on the grid early with us, Dane and Kevin. Big shout out also to our newest audience over at SiriusXM Channel 204. Thanks for joining the party and hopefully having it be a profitable day, week, month, year, decade for you. As we break down what happened in Wild Card Saturday, Kev, our next game was the Los Angeles Rams going to Seattle and beating the Seahawks and they did it with you know multiple quarterbacks we didn't know what was going to happen going into this game Jared Goff was banged up we knew he had surgery on that thumb less than two weeks ago after his injuries in week 16 we didn't know which way it was going to go ultimately the Rams decided to start John Walford that didn't last long as he got injured early in this game injured enough that he needed to be taken away from the field in an ambulance and then in comes Jared Goff you know with a swollen bomb. I don't know if you saw it, but he was, you know, gritting it out. He's a pro, and he goes 9 of 19, 155 yards and a touchdown. But I got to tell you, the star of the Rams offense was running that Cam Akers, 131 Mm -hmm. yards on the ground and a touchdown. He also contributes a little bit in the passing game. Kev, this offense looked good. The Seahawks couldn't really get going much. And and I think it did. I really do. I think it did, especially with Cam Akers on the ground. And it's funny how that can open up some other things, right? But listen, I would also say this, Kevin. We talked about this going into it. 
This was a division matchup. The Rams wanted Russell Wilson. They knew what to do with Russell Wilson, and I think they tried to keep him in the pocket. They limited stuff, and I got to tell you, Jalen Ramsey got in DK Metcalf's head as well. The Rams are moving on 30-20 to 20 over Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. What a game. What a game. Give Cam Akers his credit. There's a reason why this team made uh, Cam Akers the first pick that they made in last uh, year's draft. Uh, it was a second-round selection, but it was still the first pick that the Rams made in that draft, in, the, uh, in that second round. Uh, they understand that the ground game is important to who they want to be, and they liked what they saw uh, out of college. And, and there's a reason yeah. why a lot of people thought that he eventually would kind of assume this role as the lead back in L.A., and uh, he's certainly – assume that role but you you think about the the offense and and the way that this game was operating so you know their first drive kind of a slow plotting you know not a lot from the rams right the next drive there's a crucial second and 10 that comes up after wofford puts a ball behind robert woods and it now is at midfield can stall the drive and wofford throws an out route to cooper cup where a competent coverage guy probably picks it for six and at the minimum should be able to back the ball down unfortunately for the seahawks it was jamal adams in coverage and cooper cup picks up about 15. it ends up leading to a field goal drive now eventually they find jared goff into this game and goff looks not good right but we know he's compromised and you know you're not going to come on and kill the guy for it but boy does he not look good and they are backed up deep inside their own territory and Goff just throws up a prayer to Cooper Cup and again this is a ball that's picked nine times answered (laughs) unfortunately again for the Seattle Seahawks it was Jamal Adams in coverage the guy that they give up multiple draft picks for to come and be the lifeblood of their defense except he's a 1980s middle linebacker he can't he doesn't even know how to turn around he falls on his behind, and Cooper Cup picks up 44 yards, and it's another field goal drive. So in this moment, it's now 6-3. I truly look at Jamal Adams' inability to cover is the only reason the Rams have moved the football. They were picking on him in coverage. But you're right there. You have Russ. If this team's going to score, you're going to be able to be fine. You're going to be able to keep pace. And then Russ makes the critical mistake, the mistake that he couldn't make. And he throws a pick six on a screen pass. They sent out an incredible tweet. Over 700 wide receiver screens ran this year. Not a single one of them intercepted. The Rams not only pick it off, they take it back to the house. And in that moment, the game pretty much ends. Now, you might say, no, not really. The the, the Seahawks scored the next drive. It was 13-10. But the Rams now got to play comfortable. And this has been the Rams' MO all season long. Can they play in front? Can they go through acres? Can they dial up the pressure necessary on the defensive side of the ball? Make you uncomfortable, and they exist in their element. And the Rams, from that moment, were able to exist in their element. They ran the football 43 times compared to just 25 attempts. It wasn't even close because they were comfortable. That mistake from Russell Wilson there completely flipped the game on its head. And no matter what happened from there on out, he put the Rams in front, a two-score lead, and they couldn't get back to level footing because of it. No, that's fair. I slightly do disagree with you. I don't know if I put that on Russ per se. If you look at the replay, 31 Williams, he's breaking on the ball before the snap. 
before the snap happens, okay? I kind of consider that as a factor of this is their third matchup. They know some things. They know what the offense wants to do. If you look at that play, Williams literally was breaking hard on it at the snap. And I think that's research, seeing the sets, seeing the formation, seeing the way DK splits up because, you know, Russ threw it accurately. <laughs> you know, it just never got there because the cornerback the was able to jump it so quickly. To me, that's him knowing it, unless what you wanted Russ to do there was kind of like pump fake and then, you know, go broken play. But I digress. It is what it is, and the Rams do ultimately get going. Let me ask you, though, about these Rams because they got banged up a little bit, right? They're going to play again next week. They, because of another game we will talk about, they are going to Lambeau Field, right? take on the Packers but listen Aaron Donald got banged up because like Russell Wilson landed on his lower ribs Cooper Cup left the game late now they're saying he should be okay Cam Akers left the game in the second half as well and that doesn't even count what the Rams are going to have to do at quarterback talk to me about you know uh does that matter to you? You know, like they're going to have to go see Aaron Rodgers with Aaron Donald with a little bit of lower ribs. Cooper Cup a little banged up. Cam Akers a little banged up. Their quarterback's banged up. And the Packers have been resting for the last week on their bye. Yeah, I think for the Rams, it really is as simple as they need to, at the minimum, keep it within a possession, if not play from in front. Because yeah. and now the, because the Packers are vulnerable uh, through the ground, right? Their run defense is, has let them down all season long. So the the Rams' plan is going to be run on first, second, and third down. It's all of a sudden Rodgers comes out hot. It's fourteen nothing after two Packer possessions, and you now got to turn to Jared Goff, who again is not going to still be a hundred percent. I think by next week, right? right? And that's when all of a sudden the Packers are dialing up pressure and Jared Goff is off platform and Jared Goff finds himself in a tricky scenario. I think the Rams have a defense that is so good you give them a shot against any team in the league. The defense Mm -hmm. is that good, but especially now that Goff is compromised, they need to play in a comfortable game script. No, absolutely. I can't wait to see uh, Jalen Ramsey up against uh, Devontae Adams next week. But as you mentioned, the Seattle Seahawks did lose this game at home. And, you know, kind of the story of their offense throughout the year, the story of their defense throughout the year is an interesting one. I kind of think, Kev, in the offseason, their priorities are simple. Continue to augment that defensive side of the ball and maybe build up that offensive line to support Russ, who still does not have an MVP vote. But they got the guys they need on the outside, right? I think it's just continue to try to boost up that defense on the other side of the ball. Where does Seattle go from here? Yeah, I'd fire Pete Carroll. I'd fire Pete Carroll. No no hesitation. I'm over it. I've seen it too many times. I've seen it. There, there's no reason for us to keep asking these questions. You you go through this this run for the Seattle Seahawks, right, in the postseason. I mean, the last time Russ played what would you would label a Russ type of playoff game was in 2016 against the Detroit Lions. The next game, they got ran off the field by the Atlanta Falcons that went to the Super Bowl. The next year, they show up to Dallas, do the same garbage that's defined them, run when they shouldn't, throw only when they need to, and they lose the game by two, and they let that Cowboys team advance. You go to last year, they skate by, right, against Josh McCown. I mean, it was a one-possession game the entirety of the football game, and then the Packers got up on them comfortably and moved on. And now you win the division, 
The Rams come in with a backup quarterback and then on to their starting quarterback, but he's, again, compromised, and you can't get the job done. There is no explanation for that team to look the way they did to begin the year and to look how they did to close the year. The, the onus has to go somewhere. Those Tyler Lockett comments about their inability to adjust – because that's what Tyler Lockett said. Team started to adjust. They were going eight deep, and they were doing everything they could to take away the pass. Okay, then run the ball. I mean, if you're running into to, to boxes of three and four guys, you should be able to run the football. But but that wasn't the problem. If you can't adjust, either Russ doesn't know what he's doing, and we're overrating the talent that is Russell Wilson, or he's getting no help from the coaching staff. And I don't think that we're overrating Russell Wilson. I'm gonna I'm gonna still give Russell Wilson the pass that he's one of the best players in the league. This can't be an this is not an acceptable result from the Seattle Seahawks. You need to look out there, and I think you need to look elsewhere because this isn't just some overreaction. Talk to Seahawks fans. Cam Stewart of this network yeah. has said this time and time again about Pete Carroll. He he's says, a rah rah boost him up guy. But as far as the X's and O's and the game plan that this team comes with week in, week out, it's not good enough. That's an unacceptable result from the Seattle Seahawks. You know, it's interesting. When we were doing about the head coach openings, you know, we always talk about a surprise. And we always talk about the surprise maybe in the old health retirement aspect. Also, remember, John Schneider, the GM, is being sought after for other GM openings. So where we are in Seattle is going to be very interesting. We'll discuss the night game on Saturday when we come back. And I've got another Washington quarterback that I want to get behind for the future for now. We'll talk about it when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome in, everybody. Right back here to the early line, giving you the winning edge on Sports Grid. So many ways to get on the grid. So many ways in our streaming platforms, on the radio as well, and of course, Sirius XM Channel 204. Get on the grid to get the winning edge. And you can do so bright and early in the morning right here on the early line. Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. Kev, we go to the Saturday night game where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into Washington. They take out the football team 31-23. to Before the break, though, I was saying, like, there's now another Washington quarterback that, like, we should all be rooting for, right? We all love the story of Alex Smith. I got to tell you something, Kev. Tell Heineke, I thought he played well, man. I really do. He threw 306 yards. He had escapability out of the pocket. He was making plays, and you can see his teammates were behind him. Chase Young running to the end zone, tapping the man's back of his uh, jersey with his name. That was good stuff. Now, do I think Taylor Heineke is going to be the quarterback of the Washington football team going forward next year? No. But do I think that Tyler Heineke may have earned himself years of paychecks as a backup quarterback in this NFL? <laughs> yes, I do. But ultimately, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into Washington. They win this game 31-23. Tom Brady, Kev, throws for 381 yards. And here's the deal. We've been talking about Tampa for a while. I have been saying they are impressive. I have been willing to get behind them. You have had cause for pause talking about the opponents. Well, Kev, this was a top five defense. 
And uh, Tom Brady put up 380. They put up 31, and they survive and advance. They keep going. What do you think about this game? Yeah, it's a, it's a performance I find myself torn on. I'll give teams credit when they reach the level that you need them to. The Washington defense, I, I understand it's a top five unit for, you know, uh, but, but I've had my question marks about how great this team was. They Again, they have not played uh, a competent offense really in a while. That's fair, but you were saying this when when Tampa was doing this against Atlanta and blah, blah, blah. You were like, yeah. oh, well, I want to see them against a real defense. This was a real defense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying is I don't know if Washington maybe is as good as some of the numbers suggest defensively. That right now at the end of the day, the Bucks went out there and Fournette looked solid. Brady had his moments, and Evans was huge while not being a hundred percent. Godwin yeah. had a horrendous game and still really went five seventy nine and a score. A lot of drops. Right, AB was involved as well. What the thing for the Bucks is they basically had two kind of bursts where they were able to move the football. But that lull, right, where they they just were completely out of sync, right? It just and again, I'm not asking this team to score 50 a game, right? I mean, they still scored 31 points, but there was just this monster stretch where like, man, they don't look comfortable. Brady's screaming at everybody and it's like yeah. they just don't look settled enough. But Part of Tampa Bay also is not just that offense, right? But defensively, we saw them turn the wrong kind of corner, it felt. And Heineke looked comfortable in this game. You know, the one interception was a tip pass. Like, they didn't really even force him into that mistake. And you would have thought there would have been multiple mistakes for Washington. And again, it just... It didn't really come all in all for Tampa Bay. You win by eight points on the road in the playoffs. Seven and nine, nine and seven, 13 and three, doesn't matter. That is an accomplishment. With, without a doubt, it is an accomplishment. But they were also playing what you know most people labeled the worst team in the playoffs. Again, job done for Tampa Bay. But as far as, you know, Dane, oh, did they didn't add a win to the resume against teams with a winning record, right? And I guess that's why it's tough for me to say, see, look, Tampa Bay, they've they've answered all of my doubts. It was always going to be difficult for them to do that in a matchup against Washington. And while that is fair, you know, it's funny to me, though, Kev, you were like, I'm torn. And then you went on to talk about all the reasons why this victory was unimpressive to you, right? The other side of the coin, though, does in fact say, like, they put up 31 against a top five defense without their starting running back there, right? Like, with, with like you said, Mike, yeah, but then you make an excuse. But then don't say then that they're not, like, that Fournette is not serviceable because now you're saying, yeah, but it's Fournette, you know? They didn't have their running back. Their number one wide receiver was clearly not 100%. They go up against this defense that a lot of people like, although you are, you know, not qualifying it on some level, and they get the job done, you know, and this is, they continue to, you know, I know you said you aren't going to fully accept it, but they're rounding into form on some level. They also did not have their stud running back running side, I mean, linebacker running sideline to sideline, Devin, you know, because, you know, 
the game was on Saturday, not Sunday. If the game was on Sunday, like Alvin Kamara was able to play, then, you know, Devin White would be able to play. That's another big-time addition to that defense. He's one of the only guys in the league with the amount of tackles and forced pressures on the quarterback, right? So there's elements for them to still even get better. As we look forward, though, I ask you a question. At the end of Saturday night, Kev, you had to think that their up next was going to be going to Green Bay, right? But that is now not the case. They are instead, they're going to be going for the third time. They're going to be seeing New Orleans. They lost to the Saints both times in the regular season. Do you believe in the adage that it is hard to beat a same team from your division three times in the same season? And you know, Kev, what I've been saying, I think the Bucks are getting better, right? So is this going to be a different challenge than what the Saints saw the first two times around? Well, I, I think one of those games was week one, right? Yeah. I mean, Antonio Brown wasn't on the team. Okay. And the next matchup was, I believe, the first game that A.B. played, right, after Monday Night Football against the Giants. I think it was the first game that Antonio Brown played as a member of the Bucs. So I, that would be significant as well. Ironically enough, though, and, and yes, I do believe it is hard to beat a team three times, right? Okay. It's hard to beat a team twice. Brady had never sure. been swept in his career out there in the AFC right. East, right? Mm. The last time that I remember, Dane, though, someone beating a team three times, Saints-Panthers 2017. And that's why I throw – I remember that I was positive Cam was getting thrown. Hey, Cam, they're not going to beat him three times. Beat him three times. The Saints might just have that team's number. It's going to be fascinating to see. And again, as the week evolves, we'll continue to break it down. And that's the thing why I tell you I'm torn because I want to give Tampa Bay credit for the win. But again, this five-game win streak is two wins against Atlanta, who's picking fourth overall, a win against the Lions, who didn't have a coaching staff, a win over the Minnesota Vikings, who did not have a good close of the season, and Dan Bailey might have left the win out there on the field, and then a 7-9 and Washington team. Now, you got to beat who's in front of you. And that's why I always said it was tough for Tampa Bay because the options in front of them weren't overwhelming. And that's why I think really the biggest thing I could say is Tampa Bay could only do so much in the matchup against Washington as it stood to impress me or fully say, okay, you know what, they have found the level that they needed to be at to win a Super Bowl. Fair enough. I just don't think their objective necessarily is to impress you. I think their objective is to survive and advance, and they did, in fact, do that. Let's talk about the Washington team here, Kev. Washington, uh, they are not surviving and advancing. What do you think about this squad? What do they need? Because, you know, they got a lot of great paces on defense, that front line, right? You talk about some of the pieces, like Antonio Gibson as a rookie running back tied for the lead in touchdowns, you know, among uh, running backs and rookies, you know, McLaurin is there. Is this team just like a quarterback away, Kev? So they probably could add a couple of more pieces to the secondary. As far as the skill positions, though, Dane, I mean, there, there's there's more that needs to be added throughout the entirety of the offense, I think. The real struggle for Washington is this idea that they're going to run it back next year with a maybe Smith-Heinicke combo. A lot of times you'll hear people, and this is more like yeah, fan debates, away. right? You'll you'll hear people, though, debate, right, Dane, as fans. Like, you'll hear a Jets fan 
tell like, ah, yeah, you well, you didn't win any playoff games. Like we got the second pick, right? Like teams will act like they had a more successful year as if whoever wins the Super Bowl will be the only team with a more successful season than the Jaguars. I don't believe in that. You want to be as good as possible. But there is a world that Washington kind of tricks themselves into running it back at the quarterback position next year and then mm. costs them a season because I still – and look, Alex Smith, another year removed, another year possibly to get stronger with the leg. Maybe that's going to be great. I just don't think we're ever going to see the old version of Alex Smith ever again. I don't think that Taylor Heineke is a guy that I'm looking to run it back with for a full 16 right. next year. So even if you believe that they are a quarterback away – I don't know if they're going to bring that quarterback into the fold. That's interesting. I do think that will be job number one for Washington. I do think they will address the quarterback position. We're even hearing word that Alex Smith, you know, like has to take time to talk to his family to see if he wants to continue. Remember, the story is now done. He he made the comeback, right? He did what he wanted to do. He proved everybody wrong. Now what? Now why do that again? Because we did see the shine come off the rose a little bit after everybody was like, oh, my God, what a great story. Now it was like, oh, wait a second, but he's bad, right? And so and we know Heineke <laughs> is a backup quarterback. I fundamentally think Washington will be in the market, whether it is kind of that bridge veteran, whether they draft somebody or look for someone who gets pride free in this offseason. Kev, two teams that will not need a quarterback anytime soon started the action on Sunday, the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans, you know, Ryan Tannehill doing their thing, right? You know, Ryan Tannehill, they don't need a quarterback. On the Baltimore side, they don't need a quarterback. And boy, did Lamar Jackson turn this game on its side with one play. That was a 48-yard scramble for a touchdown. It was 10-0 at the time. The Tennessee defense was starting to get pressure, Kev. They were getting pressure on Lamar Jackson. Something that we have said all season long, the Tennessee Titans could not do. The crowd was starting to get involved and excited about it. And then Lamar scrambles and all of a sudden, you know, where boom, that lead is a race. Talk to me about what you saw out of Lamar in this one. At, at the end of the day, this was everything the Ravens could have dreamed of. They went down 10 nothing and won the game. So not only did they give Lamar Jackson his first playoff win, but the whole, oh, they can't win a game if they get down. They did it against the Tennessee Titans team that most people would say perfectly built to hold a lead because of Derrick Henry. Their defense yeah. looks like it is continuing to play better, and offensively, Lamar looks spectacular. Because if you go through it as a passer, again, 17 for 24, 179 and a pick, that's not a sensational game. Not, not by any stretch of the imagination. But this is why, and it's going to be, I, I don't know if people will ever get used to it, right? When you break down the ability of a Lamar Jackson, when you break down the ability of a Kyler Murray, a Cam Newton, a Robert Griffin, throughout these guys' career, people go, oh, they're not, they can't throw the football. Yeah, but they're the best athletes on the field. And Lamar going 16 for 136 in a score, which also is taken down a little bit by a couple of kneel downs, and mm. like, that's what makes Lamar Lamar. When you go to take him to task, people, that, oh, he can't throw the football, just remember that running touchdown that he made, only dude in the league that can make that play, that's what makes Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson.
Absolutely. You talked about Seattle, like not being able to make adjustments. It looks like Tennessee wasn't either, right? Because they completely sold out to stop Derrick Henry. Where was over the top that we talk about as the normal reaction? When we come back, we'll talk about some other teams that may need a quarterback and one that they may be able to get. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. Big shout out to our newest affiliates on Sirius XM Channel 204. Kev, we were talking about these quarterbacks, right? And 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 what do some of these teams do? Well, guess what? Uh, there may be another quarterback out there. Kev, I remind you of last week when I tried to split the hair saying that the Houston Texans GM job was a complete mess. But as the coaching job it'd be all right because at least i got to coach deshaun watson well guess what kev i don't know if deshaun watson wants to be there anymore there are a lot of reports out there right now that deshaun watson would reportedly welcome a trade specifically to the miami dolphins potentially some package of maybe the draft picks and tua you've been saying miami may need to move on from tua we know deshaun is not happy there forget about the bill o'brien stuff the trading of deandre hopkins it sounds like it's a problem right here but trading you're like all pro quarterback who you just signed to a mega deal when he's in his mid-20s and one of the best top five quarterbacks in the nfl i mean this sounds crazy kev but it also sounds like it has legs is it smoke or fire in your opinion kev I think it's fire, and I don't care how many Houston Chronicle reporters tell you that this thing has zero chance of happening. I don't care. This dude doesn't want to be there, and he has yeah. every reason to not want to be. Because as he watches talented player after talented player leave that locker room, right? Will Fuller probably going to be the next this offseason. The least you can do for the guy is, is keep your promise that he'll be involved in the process. If you go to him and he's like, hey, who do you like as a head coach? And he goes, I think Eric Biennemi is someone we need to talk to. And you don't have to hire Eric. Interview him. Don't be the only team that doesn't interview Eric Biennemi. It's a slap in the face to Deshaun Watson. And the other reality is this roster stinks. You have no talent around him. It's the Trout situation all over again. What are you going to do? Keep winning five games with a top five quarterback in football? Or maybe give yourself some life, some new draft capital, some new resources? They'll trade for their own old pick back. All it'll cost you is a franchise quarterback. Attitude than other lesser networks would. De- 